This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 375. The goal, as I said, for everything we do is to make someone open it and feel like, oh, this person sees me. Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and thanks for joining me here today. One of the most fulfilling things I've discovered through starting Gift Biz Unwrapped is the warmth, camaraderie, and generosity of the community that we formed. You're so giving and so talented. And of course, I always want to give back to you too, to do something that can make your efforts easier and your results greater. So I asked you how, and you surprised me. It wasn't help with an email marketing strategy. It wasn't about selling at shows or any other number of topics that make up a solid growing business. Nope, what you're overwhelmingly asking for is help with social media posting. You've been telling me that you're putting in the time, you're posting frequently, and you're discouraged because you aren't seeing any of this move the needle for your sales. Message received. Putting in more and more time posting in the same way isn't going to magically bring you in the sales. You need to change the way you're posting and what you're posting. You don't need to put in more work. You need to put in the right work. And that's when you'll see things change. And I've created your guide to do just that. It's called Content for Makers, and it's specially designed for handmade product makers like you. Content for Makers will help you understand why your current social media activities aren't converting into sales. It will also show you how to put in less time and start seeing activity through social that will lead to increased sales. Just imagine knowing exactly what to post and getting it done in just minutes each day. That frees up space for you to interact with potential clients, deepen relationships with those you already know, and all of this continues to build upon itself naturally. Yes, this really is possible. Content for Makers will accomplish this for you. To see all the details, jump over to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash content for makers. But honestly, at only $27, it's a no-brainer. Plus, you only have to pay for it once for use year after year. Why carry on posting as you've been doing all along, expecting different results? Sign up for Content for Makers now and see the transformation of your posting experience change right before your very eyes. Giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash content for makers. It's ready and waiting for your immediate access right now. Summer is in full swing. Isn't it amazing? The sun is shining full force. The kids are out of school. And life takes on a different structure for these few months, even if your work responsibilities continue. This year, I'm trying harder to take in the season. 
The moments I look forward to in snowy January are here once again, but too often I push them off into the future. Why? I'll be honest, more than once or twice I've chosen to miss out in exchange for getting ahead one more week on this podcast or to get some other business-related task checked off the list. But this summer is going to be different. I'm committing to going to our local farmer's market at least twice a month before I head into the office on Wednesdays. And I'm going to spend more time in my garden, something I love. I'm also planning to test out some new grilling recipes and have friends over to the house more than last summer. Experiences like this make my heart happy, and I'm determined to add more of them back into my life instead of saving them for the future. Now, you may be wondering why I'm bringing this up in the podcast. Three reasons. First, maybe you recognize a little bit of this behavior in yourself, too. So, I'm nudging you to add a few specific things into your life that give you joy. Detailed activities, just like I told you about here. Second, now you can hold me accountable to my plan. There is something about putting intent and speaking the words to another person that makes it happen. And third, it leads to our topic today. As you know from the title, we're talking about selling, but in a different way than you ever have before. You see, my guest provides an upscale concierge experience. Although high-end jewelry plays a role, it's the service she provides that is her standout business asset. I know you aren't offering products that cost thousands of dollars. However, the customer experience you provide can set you apart too. You'll hear great tips on confidently presenting the value of your product as it relates to price, setting customer expectations, the value of a high-touch moment, and the mindset of radical generosity and abundance as it relates to selling. I know the whole topic of sales always is a struggle and always get your heart beating a little bit faster. I think you're going to find some relief here. Today, our guest is Kat McCoy. Kat is the owner of Best Kept Jewelry Concierge. She helps clients source the perfect piece of jewelry for milestone occasions, including engagements, birthdays, holidays, and anniversaries. Kat works with the nation's top designers, diamond dealers, wholesalers, jewelers, and collectors to find unique options for her clients. She was inspired to start this business because she believes that a thoughtfully selected piece of jewelry is one of the most meaningful gifts you can give or receive. Kat, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Thank you, Sue. So happy to be speaking with you. I'm excited that you're here. I can't wait to dive into everything about your concierge business. But before we do that, I'd love to learn about you in a little bit of a different way. It's become a tradition here on the show. And that is to have you describe yourself by way of a motivational candle. So if you were to create a candle that really would resonate with you, Kat, what would it look like by color and maybe a quote or a saying? Absolutely. So my candle would be a really warm and inviting sand color. 
And the candle would be printed sort of these three overlapping circles with the words thoughtful, generous, and personal. And that's really what I hope every best kept piece of jewelry is for someone. It's thoughtfully selected. It's generous in the way that it was selected and purchased. And there's something really personal about the style and it should resonate with each person individually. Love it. And, you know, we always talk about customized gift and a gift that really relates to the person who's receiving it versus just buying anything and giving it to somebody, right? Like that's the meaning of everything is putting thought behind it and doing something special with the intended person in mind. Absolutely. Jewelry in particular is incredibly personal. And I think the goal, as I said, for everything we do is to make someone open it and feel like, oh, this person sees me. And I think jewelry is particularly emotional that way. And we all want to be seen. Absolutely. That is for sure. Take us back to the beginning of your story and how your experiences got you to where you are here today. Absolutely. So I studied business undergrad. I went to work for one of the big four accounting firms in their management strategy practice. So I certainly don't come by the industry in the more sort of natural progression, but I've always loved jewelry. It's always been just something that I felt really passionate about. And I have two older brothers, and I've helped them buy gifts for their girlfriends for truly as long as I can remember. And I remember with my eldest brother, he was very hesitant to buy a pair of earrings because he'd gotten a piece of jewelry before, and she didn't quite like it, and she returned it. And I really felt like with jewelry where it's so personal and you just really want to feel like you're going to get it right and you're going to nail it. If you could help someone and make them feel like they couldn't get it wrong, that more people would take the leap and invest in a great piece of jewelry. So very much inspired by my older brothers and the other people in my life. But I felt like there was a better way to buy jewelry, which can often be confusing and opaque and intimidating. Yeah. Well, shout out to your older brothers, (laughs) for (laughs) sure. And I bet it was such a sigh of relief for them to get help from you, too, just from a woman's perspective or a young girl's perspective, maybe I would say at that point. Yes, absolutely. And it's a really bonding experience. I think what I do is very personal. The recommendations I curated, they're not generated by an algorithm. And so whether it's my brother or someone I've just met in the client seat, it's always going to be sort of a really personal experience. Yeah, I never really thought about it before, but specifically for the occasions that you're helping source products for, I mean, these are significant events. Even if it's a birthday of with someone you're dating, it's not like a big decade birthday or an anniversary or engagement ring or anything like that, but any type of jewelry like that, there's emotion on both sides. Like you're saying, the person who's giving it is putting a lot of thought into it. And then what if it's not received well? Completely. I think you're exactly right. Oftentimes when you buy someone a piece of jewelry, you can feel quite vulnerable. The stakes feel a little bit higher because you've put some of yourself into the process as well. And so far and away, one of the things I hear all the time, particularly from my male clients, though from everyone, is the last time I did jewelry, we struck out. Or I haven't bought her a piece of jewelry since an engagement ring many, many years ago. And so I think what people are in some ways really buying from me is peace of mind and confidence that no matter what, this was the right piece for the right person. Yeah, because it feels like such reflection on you. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the recipient also, like, what if they were given something that they knew put so much thought in and they don't like it? Then what do you do? So it's that issue on both sides, right? It's a whole very emotional transaction all the way around, but also a moment of celebration at the same time. 
Completely. And as the recipient, if it's not quite to your taste, you don't want to hurt the other person's feelings or as many of my clients will say, they don't want to discourage for future jewelry purchases. So you feel like you kind of have to play your cards right and not give away too much. So to your exact point, there's lots of feelings on both sides of the equation, but when you do get it right and someone opens a great piece of jewelry and it feels like a reflection of the things that they like the best about themselves, it really is a little bit of magic. Yes, for sure. So I want to talk about your business development and all of that in a second, but I do have a question here that is completely 100% self-serving for our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to admit that right now. The idea just occurred to me that we need to be sharing with friends or especially our partners things that we like and also things that we don't like. So we're placing information on the jewelry end, of course, is what I'm talking about. applies to everything. But on the jewelry end, so that they even know the direction to take. Yes, absolutely. I think some people, there's sort of a scale of how prescriptive some people are going to be. On one end of the scale is sending a link to the exact SKU that you're looking for, including metal color, size, everything else. And then on the other end of the spectrum is, you know me, go nuts. And I think somewhere in the middle is a little bit of direction, which might even be more of like a category, which is I really want an everyday necklace or I want a wedding band that can stack with my other wedding bands to celebrate the birth of a new baby. So to the extent the person shopping can have a little bit of an instinct or a nudge in the right direction, that usually is just a way to set up everyone for success. Yeah. So I'm just thinking to myself, like, put out the ideas and the thoughts. You don't have to say specifically what, but sometimes gentlemen don't observe what you're wearing. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm a silver girl right now. So rose gold doesn't really work for me. And I know rose gold is in right now. It just doesn't look good on my skin, I don't think. So if someone bought me the most beautiful rose gold piece, I'm probably not going to wear it. It's interesting you say that. For my clients, particularly if they don't know where to start, I always ask them to email or text me a picture of the person we're shopping for dressed very casually and then a person of them dressed up to go to a wedding or more of a special event. And that's really where I'm zooming in quite a bit to see the metal color that they're wearing and getting just a better, fuller picture of their overall style and energy. But having some sort of visual references is really a huge part of me being able to curate recommendations that feel really spot on and personal. Because to your point, depending on the person's interest, they may really not only not have the vocabulary for what they're looking for in a piece of jewelry, but they may not really even have an inkling. And so pictures and visual references are also sort of a major key to success. So smart. Well, this is why you're the concierge. (laughs) You know. So take us back. Your two brothers were asking for your help. Little did you know that these would be services you'd offer in the future. But how did this progress into what you're doing today? So at the time, I lived in Manhattan in New York City. And I started traveling to the Diamond District in Midtown on 47th Street and introducing myself to people. The jewelry industry is notoriously uh, fairly insular and wary of newcomers. And by and large, the people you meet in the Diamond District are typically third or fourth generation in the jewelry business. So the most challenging part of getting started was building the relationships on the supply side and establishing any sort of credibility for myself because I did have this more business background. I certainly didn't go to gemology school and just have, from a jewelry perspective, been completely self-taught. 
So I really felt, you know, if I've been in business almost five years now, the first years were really, really laser focused on building up my relationships and just sort of establishing that credibility with people. Did you already have the vision, though, of the business that you were looking to create before you started going after the relationships? You know, I did have this kernel of an idea, which was if you could create these really personalized curated recommendations for people to choose from within their budget, that could be a better, more interesting way to shop for jewelry. And surprisingly, the vision hasn't changed that much. I still deliver recommendations in a PDF kind of format for my sourcing projects. The custom side of the business is a little bit different. But in terms of curating and sourcing great gifts, the vision has really remained oddly steady. So when I would help my brothers with their gifts, I would send them three links to things. So it's own sort of mini version of that curation process. But I like the idea of the client being the one to make the final decision. That's very, very important in every project that I do. I can narrow the, the universe of options down to three or four, but they really need to own that final decision. And it was sort of like lightning, just the thought that if you could narrow it down for people, that's the place to start. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, that gives them ownership and the pride of actually making the selection, even though they had a lot of guidance. So I see the way that makes sense. So I want to go back, though, to the creation of the business a little bit more, because this is so interesting to me. All right. So the first thing, so you had a vision, and then you started making contacts because of the industry. So, which I guess you would need the contacts anyway, if you're going to be asking them and talking with them and looking at the pieces that are available, you know, all the different options, you've got to have the connections. You can't start from cold relationships for the most part, right? Absolutely. I wanted to be able to offer people options that they wouldn't be able to find on their own necessarily. And so for me, that meant sort of building my own relationships on the supply side. When I'm sourcing or looking for a great piece of jewelry for someone, I definitely look at what's on the internet and look through all of that. But I really felt like it was important to have a baseline of my own relationships and designers and really just sort of introduce myself to some key people. So when you're building those relationships, it's a little bit of a chicken before the egg kind of situation where oftentimes you're building the relationship before you have a client who wants to buy one of their pieces. And so sort of in those early days, there were times when I would buy a piece of jewelry without a client lined up just quite yet, just to really open the lines of communication and sort of establish myself as a legitimate buyer. So I proudly now say that I don't hold any inventory, that everything we source or make is completely customized and sourced or made for you. But in the early days, there are definitely some instances of me buying a piece of jewelry without a client attached already just to build that relationship. Yeah, that makes sense because then you're credible. You're not wasting their time in their eyes. Absolutely. It was really like a respect thing. Sometimes they were pricey pieces. Sometimes they were really basic pieces. But just to start transacting, to have the flow of a little bit of money, I think was very, very legitimizing because particularly very talented designers, they get hit up all the time with questions and inquiries. And I think just being able to establish yourself as someone who does what she says she's going to do was like one of the great kind of key learnings from those early days is sometimes you just have to buy a piece to kind of break the ice. Yes. Love it. Okay. And so then how did you start forming the company and getting your first customers? The business, even to this day, which is so dependent on referrals, I really started with friends and family. My very first engagement ring was my cousin, Matt, who I will eternally be grateful to. I can't tell you how much I learned from that first custom engagement ring. I met a whole new diamond wholesaler. I needed a bench jeweler and a setter to be able to set the diamond. So from that perspective, very much learning on the job as we went. So starting with friends and family and particularly with the earliest clients, like really over delivering. 
I like to say that I like to make $1,000 look like $5,000. If you've got a $5,000 budget, I want it to look like $15,000. So because I don't hold inventory and I have a small team, I could also apply. I didn't need to do like a full wholesale markup on a lot of pieces. So I just wanted to provide as much value as possible to my friends and family and make sure that they ended up with like a really wow experience. And so, you know, what I sell is typically expensive and they're for milestone occasions, as we were saying before. So there's that kind of high degree of trust that's required. And so referrals and just word of mouth is really the backbone of the business. Okay. So with Matt, did you create the systems as you worked through that first job? Like what types of questions that you needed to ask him, the back and forth and however your process works? Did you create it first and test it with Matt or did you create it on the fly with Matt? Probably for that first one, I was creating it on the fly. The process has absolutely become refined with time, dozens and dozens of rings later. But as I look back to that first experience, a couple of the core steps are very much there, which was a consultation to begin with, which is to establish what your budget is and from a style perspective, what you're looking to achieve. And particularly if we're doing a white diamond, what shape stone. And then with that information, I contact the diamond wholesaler And we curate anywhere between five to six diamonds within your budget for you to choose from based on all the things that you've told me about what's important to you. And then in the appointment, we look at all the diamonds individually, and I kind of help guide you to the best one for you. And then after you select the diamond, we have this custom create the ring setting. And that's really where, even as I think back to that first experience, that's really where I sort of jump in and provide a lot of value. I like to say I'm always bothering my setters with, I don't like the prongs on that one, or we said 1.9 millimeter band, not 1.7. So that's where I think a lot of the details really come together. And then the custom ring is ready for pickup or shipping. So the overall steps of the process hasn't changed much, but to your point, I'm much sharper in the consultation to make sure I understand exactly what you're looking for. And I've just seen so many different permutations and different options from a design perspective I can be really helpful as well. Yeah. I mean, as I'm listening to you describe your whole process, it reminds me kind of when you build a house, there's a huge investment financially and emotionally into what you're providing. But there's lots of different things that go along the way to your point about choosing the diamond, then looking at the setting and then ensuring that what you were asking for is actually what is being produced. And that's a huge part, I think, of the services that you offer, because a lot of us wouldn't know. Absolutely. And that's such a great sort of comparison, because for many of my clients on the Engager Ring size, if they are renting or if they don't own a home, this might be the biggest purchase they've made to date. So when we talk about that sort of level of trust that's required, I take that really seriously. And to me, what's most exciting is when I have a client who initial consultation is assuring me he knows nothing about diamonds and doesn't know what he's doing. By the time we're down to one or two stones in the appointment, he's saying, well, is this the VS2 or the VS1 clarity? Do you think we should be looking at this in natural light? And so the education process is really, really fun for me. And, you know, as I said, I ultimately feel like my job is to make you confident and feel a lot of confidence in what you're purchasing. So uh, a lot of trust involved. That's a perfect description because one of the things I was going to ask you is how educated do they need to be coming to you? Like, do you give them reading materials or something before they come? And it sounds like you educate them along the way. I have a Diamonds 101 that I like to send you right after the consultation just to give you just a little bit of vocabulary around the four C's and some of the sort of major topics people think about with diamonds. 
but I've learned with time to really tailor the amount of education based on the client's personality and sort of appetite for that education. Some of my more analytically minded clients really want to learn about the different kind of levers you can pull when it comes to a diamond's quality and size and everything else. And then I have other clients who are a little bit more intuitive or like a little bit more emotional about it. They want to see something in person and they want it to speak to them in some way. Um, and typically there's some balance of understanding the jargon and the lingo, but also understanding that a diamond is really an optical illusion. And so it has to be the one that jumps out to you the most. Yeah, I'm just thinking of all the different types of personalities that you probably deal with. Some people probably are either too busy or it seems too much. They don't even really necessarily want to know. They just want you to direct them because they trust you into whatever they need. And if you were to force feed it, that would not be a good relationship for either of you. Absolutely. My job is to make the process low stress and if it can be fun, because the idea is from start to finish, you feel like you're being taken care of and like you can't go wrong. And so I do say by the time we get in the room at the Diamond Wholesaler's office, whether that's over Zoom and I'm there in person, or if you've joined me in the office in New York as well, the stones have been so highly considered and so highly curated that if you're looking at five or six, each of the stones are on the table for a reason and there really is no bad decision. So everything is so highly curated by the time you're making a decision that hopefully that really sort of high stakes pressure is off and you can really just sort of be in the moment. And as I said, ultimately select the one that, that really speaks to you. I'm already feeling like super comfortable with you picking out my diamond. Ah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you just have this way about you. And I heard it even in the pre-chat when we were talking before we actually pressed record here. Very professional and buttoned down and intuitive, I think would be the word. Where did that come from? Or is that just natural for you, Kat? Well, thank you. That truly to me is the highest compliment. I think listening is such an underrated and such a huge part of my job. And I'm so happy that it seems to come through, but I'm sincerely so deeply invested in the outcome of every single project. And I think when you really do care, people pick up on that. But what I have to say is so exciting about my business is as much as I went to great lengths to tell you how I come from management consulting, I didn't have sort of a natural path into jewelry. I do, at the end of the day, feel as though I have a unique gift and a unique skill set in terms of being able to get to the heart of the matter with limited information and find things that are uniquely personal. And so even when things get frustrating or if I'm having difficulty reading a client, I'm always able to fall back on this idea that I'm doing something I'm uniquely good at. And that gives me <laughs> a lot of confidence, I think. Sure. Okay. So I want to ask you a couple of questions that might be a little more challenging for you, Kat. I don't know. You promise you'll answer truthfully? Promise. Okay. Very good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> your business is mostly service. Yes, you're providing a product, but it's the service that you offer that leads to the product, of course. How did you consider what your pricing packages would look like given this makeup? You know, that sort of t central tension there, which is I sell a product, which is a piece of jewelry, but what you're really buying a service is really interesting. And, and like, that's kind of always there for me. It took me about a year to realize that actually what I'm providing is a service and not just a product. So I really do sit at this funny intersection of private jeweler and personal shopper. But to your point, I now identify primarily as a service provider, because I think that's really why you come to me and what you're really buying. I have found that with my clients on the sourcing side, 
Transparency is really important. I want to be able to tell you about the designer. I want to be able to share all the information I have without feeling as though you'll just cut around me and just buy it directly from them. So I'm very transparent with my upfront consulting fee. So from the sourcing side, I charge just a flat buying fee and take a deposit upfront. And on the custom side, I charge a consulting fee for my time. The pricing is something that I think, to be honest, I'm testing and refining all the time. But I have found to the extent that you can be really transparent with people, it's very important because part of the challenge of fine jewelry and selling jewelry is people really have their guard up. And I think the more traditional ways of buying jewelry are confusing on purpose. And so people come to me because they trust me and the transparency part is really important. Yeah, they trust you. You have the connections. As you were referencing earlier, you have access to pieces that they wouldn't be able to source anyway. Mm -hmm. But I think you're really smart in what you're talking about here where you have a sourcing fee already established and you're collecting money up front. Maybe not all of it right away but you're collecting it up front so that they don't go around you because that would be a concern for sure. Absolutely. The deposit has become incredibly important. I think early on when I was just so, so excited to take on any client, I would immediately get started on the recommendations, send them over quickly as possible. And at that point I could be, you know, I take the sourcing very, very seriously. So sourcing, curating three or four recommendations can take anywhere from an hour to 10 hours, depending on if I'm physically going in person and how much research I need to do. So there were times where I was six, seven, eight hours into a project. I send them these incredibly spot on, thoughtfully selected recommendations. They take a look at them and they say, oh my gosh, this is amazing. How did you know that you'd love this? I'll come back to you at Christmas. And so I think just the deposit has been so important to establish on both sides that like we're both committed to the purchase and to the project. That was a quick lesson I learned very early on, which was my clients who are serious and they want to transact and they really value the service I provide. Not only are they okay with the deposit, but they're reminding me to send them the invoice. It's my clients who are dragging their heels and not quite sure if they're ready to put down a deposit that ultimately tends not to work out as well. And so what is the conversation with somebody where you're talking about your services and they aren't a client yet, so you're talking about the fees and all of that. What is it that you share with them that you're providing to them in exchange for those fees? How does that conversation go? I know this is an answer you can't wait to hear, and we'll get to it right after a short break to hear from our sponsor. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How, you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, Happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or find packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. Absolutely. So that would be in that sort of upfront consultation that I was describing. And so where we're having that consultation, that's where I'm asking what it is you're looking for, who we're shopping for, what budget you're comfortable with. Do you have any ideas or visual references you can share? 
And then I take you through my services that I provide and my process and what you can expect to receive. And then let them know that before, now that I've got my marching orders, before I go out and curate those recommendations, I take a deposit, which is the equivalent of 30% of the total budget that we're working with. That deposit is applied towards your final purchase, but it's something that I take up front before I start the curation process. And so the 30% deposit includes the cost of the piece as well as your service time, I guess I'd say. Exactly. So a small part of that is my sort of upfront consulting fee and the rest of that will be applied towards your purchase. Okay, that makes total sense. Do you ever turn someone down in terms of accepting the business? That is something that I've only started to do really in the last 18 months because I've gotten busier. And what I do takes so much time that I can only work with a limited number of clients at a certain time. So I've raised my buying minimum, which was you know scary at first, but I think ultimately really necessary for the growth of the business. So from a budget perspective, I do have a buying minimum. So if we're not aligned there, I'll be very forthcoming that I might not be the right solution for this particular milestone occasion. And I always like to direct people to, at that point, if I have a pretty good idea of what you're looking for, I may suggest you check out a few websites or send you a few designers that I think you should check out, but it won't be a fit for us to go through the whole process together. And then in terms, like, stylistically, I try and remain fairly, what I like to say, like, as style agnostic, because I really do feel like I can source or help you make just about anything. My personal aesthetic is a little bit more kind of classic and understated but I source pieces of all different styles. So it's more rare that I'll turn down business based on style, but I would say budget absolutely comes into play. And then also with experience, I've learned when a client's expectations and their budget aren't aligned, that becomes an opportunity for me to either coach them on a more realistic budget or let them know that it might not be a fit to work together because I only want to set both of us up for the best possible outcome. And so if what you're describing to me is a $10,000 piece, but you want to spend $1,500, then I don't think ultimately I'll be able to execute on that vision. Right. But I I love the fact that you still give them something. So they end up leaving like they're being serviced. Let's say you're not going to be able to work together, but you're able to direct them into, like you were saying, a website or someplace where they can find this solution because all of these people are going to continue on with their life and might have other really important occasions where they will be able to spend more down the road. Even though it's not for now, it could be for the future. Absolutely. That's something, particularly going into 2022, as I was thinking about my business goals and resolutions and everything else, this idea of almost like radical generosity is something that's just been so top of mind for me more recently. I want to be as helpful as I possibly can and kind of approach everything with like an an abundance mindset. I think before, as I said, I did have a little bit of fear around people go around me or they'll buy the jewelry a different way. But I do feel as though if it's not the right fit, I want to be as helpful as I possibly can. And those people actually end up becoming very loyal and oftentimes will refer me to other people just because nobody has a sour taste in their mouth and they feel like ultimately I've also got their best interests in mind. Mm -hmm. So even if they didn't purchase, they refer you. Yeah, those referrals are very meaningful and and very, very cool for me because just a way to really keep the relationship open, demonstrate my expertise and kind of keep good feelings all around. So as the business has grown and I've been able to let go of the idea of like making every single sale, I think I've been able to be so much more generous with my expertise and knowledge. And that's been really fun, to be honest. 
Kat, take us back to when you first realized you needed to set buying minimums and how you thought through it and how you then started incorporating it in when clients would come to you. Yes, absolutely. So when I first started, I knew that I wanted to stay within the fine jewelry space. And so everything's either 14 or 18 karat gold versus gold plated or vermeil. And so when I first started, my buying minimums were loosely around $500. And you can absolutely find something sort of dainty that is real gold at that price point, but it's quite difficult. I mentioned before that a project can take anywhere between one to 10 hours. And so if you think about sort of the back of the envelope math on a $500 necklace, I can maybe buy it for, call it $225 or $250. And then for me to have spent seven hours sourcing something to be able to buy it for $250, by the time I FedEx two-day ship it, sometimes it would feel like I owe you money at the end of it. And so to be honest, because what I do take so much time, the, the minimum and just the opportunity to make a little bit of money needed to be a little bit higher. And then I felt more confident raising my buying minimum last year when I got busy. And I realized I could only take on a certain number of clients per month. It's been kind of fun and validating and at times scary to to raise the minimum. But you did it. Yes. (laughs) So how did that feel when you first presented your new minimums? I would really kind of test things out in consultations. So someone would say, I'm looking for such and such, and I want to spend no more than $700. And I think I would come back and say, I so appreciate that we got to speak today. Currently, my buying minimums are $1,500 and above because I focus on major milestone gifts and I want to make sure that you get the best experience possible. So having those more difficult conversations has gotten easier with time, but I never want to disappoint anyone and I always want to be helpful. So between you and me and whoever's listening, those conversations are still a little challenging, but I think I've gotten a little better with it. Well, and probably the more evidence you see with people actually using your services just reinforces it on and on. So you get more confident over time. The other thing that I heard you saying is currently my buying minimum is, so that leaves room for adjustments on your end. But also the potential, like what that said to me when you said that is, I'm so busy, they may increase even more, (laughs) you know? That's the hope. So get it for a deal now with what I'm suggesting, because you never know when it's going to (laughs) change. Let's talk about a challenging interaction that you had and how you managed through that. I've obviously no names, but can you think back to one of your more difficult interactions and what was happening and how you worked through it? Yeah, absolutely. And as I kind of reflect on this one, I think the big learning there was in the consultation process, figuring out if I'm a fit for them and if they're a fit for me. I had some sort of instinct in the consultation that it may not be the best experience, but I went ahead with it because I wanted to take on the client and and take on the new challenge. So from an instincts perspective, I think sharpening those instincts and listening to those instincts has become important with time. But in this instance, the client I'm thinking of She had a very specific idea in mind for a diamond pendant, and she sent me very specific pictures of another designer's piece. I did not have a wholesale relationship with this designer, so if we were to buy something like that, we would either have it custom made or work with someone else. And I put together the first round of recommendations. She liked everything, but it wasn't, again, exactly, exactly what she was looking for. We went through another round of recommendations. And I realized based on her feedback from round two, that really what she was looking for was to purely price compare and price shop. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. But 
I provide a concierge service and part of what you're buying is my curation and my taste and my expertise. And ultimately, she just wanted to be able to buy this exact thing for as inexpensive as possible versus really kind of collaborate and and work towards finding something really beautiful and special that aligns with her style. And so it was challenging because I think I put a lot of heart and soul into the recommendations. And I think it was probably frustrating for her because she was looking for a different exercise. She was looking purely to price compare. And I think that was just a really powerful lesson of having the confidence to know that what I do is not for everyone by definition. And it shouldn't be for everyone, not because it's an elitist thing, but because you have to be looking for a certain service or looking for a certain experience for it to really kind of resonate. Yeah. So really important concept in having what you provide align with what your customer truly wants. Yes, exactly. And of course, I mentioned before, I'm transparent about my buying fee and consulting fee. And so she was trying to negotiate all of that down to fit into some budget that she had in mind. I would say another kind of red flag or indication that it's going to be a more challenging interaction is when people are very bashful about sharing their budget. It's typically because they bought jewelry in the past and feel like they were really upsold. Or I think there's a little bit of guardedness around sharing where they really, truly are and want to be. And ironically, it makes my job so much harder. And oftentimes when clients aren't transparent about their budget, they end up spending more because when you are transparent about what your max number is, oftentimes me and the jeweler will work really hard and sometimes take even a smaller margin to make it fit into that budget. But when you're guessing and you don't really know where you stand, that's when I think people aren't able to kind of bring their, put their best foot forward. It makes total sense to me. So what other things have you learned in dealing? I'm sure you'll agree. I mean, all of your customers are more upscale clients because your product costs more. You're getting a better result, all of that. Are there any tips or things that you've learned along the way being more service-based and in an upscale industry? Yes, absolutely. I think in the beginning, I wanted to talk quite a bit about how jewelry is notoriously confusing and it's confusing why something costs one thing on one website and something that seems the exact same costs something so much different on another website. And a lot of the language content I was creating was around value and savings, which can be really important. And education is a huge part of what I do. But when I really embraced and realized that what I do is provide a upscale service, I realized that in some respects, I was cheapening the experience for people by making it too much about, but trust me, you're getting a great deal. There are times when people want to get the best deal possible. And then there are other times when people want to feel like they're staying at a luxury hotel and the room service bill comes and it is what it is. And so I realized I was in some interactions doing my clients a disservice by making the conversation so value-based when they wanted to have a luxury experience. Oh, love that. Yes. And luxury experience. I love those words too. (laughs) Totally aligns with the feel that you are projecting right now, Kat, too. Again, I I always want someone to get a great deal, but I realized I was honestly, I was detracting from the experience by positioning it that way and also kind of selling the service that I provide short. So the pitch is no longer, you'll get the best piece of jewelry at the best price because sometimes that's true. And that's certainly what I hope for, but the experience is ultimately about something so much more. Absolutely. And, you know, and there are going to be customers who are looking for the best deal. And that is not a fit. You know, it depends on the type of piece, too. So something like diamond studs, where you're sourcing two stones and then having them set in a setting for all parties, that can be a great experience for everyone where it is a more value based conversation, because there is a market for diamonds. We can find ones that I think are particularly well priced or below market. 
and really think of it that way. For something more like a necklace or something with a little bit more of a design focus, it becomes so much harder to compare apples to apples in that way because there are so many different components that go into how a piece of jewelry is priced. Makes sense to me. All right, I want to shift the conversation for our final topic here in a totally different direction than where we've been before. And that is social media or any other type of marketing. Now, I know you said that most of your business is coming from referrals, but are you using anything else to attract and gain visibility? Absolutely. I would say that Instagram, even more so than my website, is really my front door and my portfolio. So that's the platform that I focus the most on. It's an incredibly visual medium, as you know, so jewelry performs very, very well. And there are a ton of jewelry brands on Instagram. So the challenge there is really creating interesting content that isn't what everyone else is doing or trying to imitate anybody else, but sort of finding a way to create content that feels kind of unique to me and best kept and what it is that I do. So long-winded way of saying that Instagram is very, very important for the business and probably after sourcing and actually client work, Instagram is the thing that I'm probably thinking the most about. And so how are you attracting people over to the account so they can see what you're posting? Yes. So I would say if I meet someone and we strike up a conversation and they ask about the business, I always refer them to my Instagram and ask them to follow along because all of the pictures really are a portfolio of my client work and everything that I've done. And then once you follow along through Instagram stories, which is more of that everyday behind the scenes content is where I think people can really get to know not only my personality and my sensibility, but also my process. I like, you know, if I'm going into New York City for a buying trip, I'm usually documenting that. If I'm in Diamond Wholesaler's office for an engagement ring appointment, oftentimes I'll show everybody the four or five different diamonds we're looking at. So I think Instagram stories is sort of a daily check-in with people and a great way to really show them what the business is all about and kind of what I'm all about too. Yeah, I'm looking at the account right now. So it's kind of, it's not really a portfolio as such because these are custom pieces that are for certain people. Now, I'm guessing that you have to be really careful on the timing of some of this because if it's an engagement ring, you don't want to be showing it online right away. (laughs) Absolutely. There have been times where I'm just, something came out so beautifully and I'm just chomping at the bit to post it, but I will typically check in with the person proposing and make sure I've gotten the green light. But what is cool is like, if you go to at Best Kept Jewelry on Instagram and look through everything, these are all pieces that I've sold and made and been a part of. So it's kind of cool to look back and look at all the things I've done. And oftentimes in a consultation, someone will send me a picture of an Instagram post that their wife or partner sent them, like as if to say, I want something similar, or we really like this piece, could we make the exact same thing or something similar? So, you know, I'm always talking about how we can have as many visual references as possible in the consultation and upfront design process. And Instagram has been so helpful for that as well. So I could just sit here in silence and look at some of these pieces, (laughs) but I better not right now. Put down the phone, Sue. (laughs) Okay. One other thing I was excited to mention, just because I know some of the people listening here are on Etsy, I have found that some of the most exciting jewelry design and best collection of vintage jewelry is on Etsy. It's, of course, really important to dig around and know what you're buying, and some pieces are going obviously going to be better and nicer than others. I just wanted to do a quick plug that I've been really inspired by some of the jewelry design that I've seen on Etsy and have built a lot of great relationships with designers on the platform. So you'll go and look for design ideas or sourcing all of that over on Etsy as well? 
Yeah, so particularly for sourcing, if I'm looking for something quite specific or different, sometimes I will go to Etsy to see what's available. The search functionality is so great and you can get very, very specific. And so there have been times where I have found and high quality pieces on Etsy. I've curated them as part of the recommendations and those are the options that people go for. It's been just sort of like another tool in my toolbox, but just some incredibly talented people on the platform. Thank you so much for adding that in. I really appreciate it because you're right. There are a lot of people here who will be on Etsy. And just reinforcement that keywords are all important because <laughs> that's the way you find them. Keywords, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> I think this is going to be probably pretty obvious. Where would you send people online if they want to take a look at your services besides your Instagram account? Because we already just talked about that. But where else online would you send people? That's right. Instagram is at Best Kept Jewelry and my website is bestkept.com. And anything over on the website that you would want first time people to look at? Services, I think, are right on the homepage. You can kind of scroll down and see the three kind of services I provide, which are engagement rings, sourcing milestone gifts, and then custom projects, all the things that we discussed today. And there's also a recently revised about page that I think tells a little bit about my story and my approach to jewelry. And I think it can give people just a, a great idea of what I'm all about. Wonderful. Well, Kat, I know why you're so successful. I hear the confidence, but I also hear the caring coming through in your voice. And I am 100% certain that all of your customers are just so pleased with what you're able to curate for them. Thank you so much for giving us an inside peek on your business. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sue. A thoughtful, generous, and personal selling style sounds so much more comfortable, doesn't it? I think the idea of providing a luxury experience for each and every customer in your own special way is worth exploring. Before you move on to your next activity today, make sure to get your name on the list for at least one Gift Biz Bash. You can see the dates and times for upcoming sessions and get signed up over at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash bash. And if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to show support, a rating and review would be wonderful. It helps spread the word about the show too, so it's a great way to pay it forward. There's also another way to get something tangible in exchange for your support. Visit my merch shop for a wide variety of inspirational items like mugs, journals, water bottles, and more, featuring logos, images, and quotes to inspire you throughout your day. Makes a great gift, too. And we've just added some new products for the season. Which is my favorite design right now? It's a toss-up with that gorgeous lemonade image and a quote about refreshing and the beautiful butterfly design. What's yours? Turnaround is quick and the quality is top-notch. Nothing but the best for you. Take a look at all the options at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash shop. All proceeds from these purchases helps me offset the costs of producing this podcast. And now, be safe and well, and I'll see you again next time on the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. 
got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just for fun, because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. My favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze today.